Good evening. Things will never be the same ever again. That's what a churchgoer told a news reporter when the news reporter asked about the condition of the church and worship in the midst of COVID-19. Things will never be the same ever again. And this one who was being interviewed continued and said, I have great love for my Christian brothers and Christian sisters. I enjoy being with them. I've been involved in many church-related activities in the past. But said, but now we barely communicate by text. Things have changed. If you have been in a coma for the last six months and just woke up, you, you need to know that things have changed. Things may never be exactly the same ever again. When this whole thing started, churches, most all of them went online, as you know. We did. Most others who had the capability went exclusively, almost exclusively, online uh, to serve their constituents who had computers. Aren't you glad now that you have a computer or access to uh, online teaching? And so for months, that's what people had been doing, were doing, watching services online. Churches were mostly closed. You could go to a church. It was shut down. It was locked down. The familiar text that we all probably know so well, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they, can, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. Again, listen to that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, that is the common communal church meal, along with the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, the elements, breaking bread and prayers. If we were to translate that post-COVID, it might read, and they devoted themselves to online watching, social distancing, wearing masks in between bites, and praying alone. Maybe, maybe not. The effect of being shut down, being locked down for months and months on end has had an effect on community, on connectivity. I found an interesting article from the Pew Research Group that said one-third or more of those who previously attended church regularly will not even bother watching online anymore. A third who previously attended regularly, just they watched online for a while, but they won't bother anymore. For those whose church affiliation was already tentative, the disconnect may be permanent. No doubt this is historic ground we are in. No question this is 
This is unlike we have been through at least in 100 years. However, I believe that the media has scared the pajabbers out of people, the wits out of people. Because, in part, because when you keep posting the death toll because of one virus, one disease, one issue, you constantly reinforce the badness of it. And it does something to the human psyche. For example, what if we were to post every day on your weather channel, every day on TV, every day on the internet, what if we were to post the annual deaths in America to cigarette smoking? Okay, so far they say in America 220,000 people have died from COVID-19. That's a lot of people. And they want you to know that's a lot of people. But if they were to be honest and post annual deaths from cigarette smoking, it's way more than 220,000. 480,000 deaths. There used to be a sign out here on I-25 that had cigarette deaths, and they went up as you drove by. You'd see it, and the idea was to scare people into not smoking. Don't know why they took it down. Maybe they took it down during COVID. Don't know. Or what if they were to post annual deaths in America due to heart disease? Well, 655,000 every year in this country alone from heart disease. What if they were to post an annual death ticker or daily death ticker of those who get in automobile accidents? You'd never want to get in a car ever again if you saw that every single moment, every time you opened up an Internet site, every time you, you were looking at any kind of news program, you'd be reminded of it. You would be scared. They have managed to control people with fear. Now, we have a night of worship. And I want to segue with all of that media buzz over a legitimate virus. But there's some things that I, I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, what do you want us to know now? What do you want us to focus on now? So I jotted down a few things. Number one. Bad news never changes good news. Aren't you glad that the bad news doesn't change the good news? You, you got to admit, 2020 has been a year of bad news. A worldwide pandemic. Economic uncertainty. Social anarchy. Shortage of toilet paper. It's been a year of bad news. One of the things it has done, it has assaulted our false sense of control. We like to be in control. We like life to go according to plan. And so we make plans. You know, there's an old Yiddish proverb that says, we make plans and God laughs. 
So we plan our education, we plan our careers, we plan our vacations, we plan our retirement. But have things gone according to your plans this year? It has been a year of bad news. James, I love how he put it in chapter 4 of his book. He said, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you don't even know what is going to happen tomorrow. Your life, said James, is a vapor that appears for a time then vanishes away. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wills, we will do such and such. Life is uncertain. You can't always plan it. You can rarely control it. Life is filled with uncertainty. Life is filled with bad news. But you and I, we've heard the good news. The good news of forgiveness, the good news of another kingdom, the good news of heaven after this earth. The good news that is written about in the scriptures and no shortage of toilet paper, no virus, no economic uncertainty can change the fact of the good news. Bad news doesn't change good news. Romans chapter 8 Paul said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's God's promise to you and to me. So, bad news doesn't change good news. Second truth. The White House is not nearly as important as God's house. Now, we're coming up on an election, and I wanted to say that before the election. The White House is not nearly as important as God's house. Do you remember back in the prophet Isaiah when King Uzziah had died, a very good king? He was off the throne in Isaiah, and the people were mourning that during that time he had that very timely vision of God exalted sitting on the throne in control. In control. God is still in control. After the election, God is still in control. Jesus Christ is still the head of the church. Now, I have strong feelings about political platforms. I have strong feelings about voting and, and, and party values. I, I do. And I'm entitled to those, just as you are. I believe we should all vote. But at the same time, though I have those strong feelings, no matter who is in the Oval Office, I know who's in the Royal Office of the Universe. God is and will always be in control. And what happens in the church in God's house is, in my view, far more important than what happens in the White House. 
Now, by judging some people's reactions of late, you would think they think that the only hope lies in the White House now or potentially the future. What happens in the church, God's house, and in particular, you, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we, collectively as believers, is far more important. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, the church is the pillar and the ground of all truth. Did you get that? It's the foundational basis of all truth. What goes on in God's house is more important. And so, back to Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. In the reign of Diocletian, and I think he, he reigned in the late 3rd, early 4th century A.D., Diocletian was a persecutor of the church. He forbade churches to gather together, forbade Christians to meet together, citing a whole bunch of different reasons why they shouldn't meet together. Legal reasons. The church defied him. The church got together. The church gathered together. And when they were caught, they were imprisoned. They were tortured. And they were killed. And one of the Christians was trying to explain to a Roman why they would dare defy government orders. When the government said, when the emperor said, you cannot meet. And this was the response. They said, without the Lord's day, we cannot live. Without the Lord's day, and all that it meant to the early church, the gathering together of people, without the Lord's day, we cannot live. So bad news doesn't change good news. The White House is not nearly as important as God's house. And the third is whatever I aim at, I will hit. Whatever I am aiming at is what I will hit. Ask a carpenter about that. A carpenter who drives hundreds of nails every day with a hammer will tell you that whatever you look at is what you're going to hit. If you look at the head of the nail, you're going to hit it. If you look at the thumb and finger that holds the nail, you're going to hit it. So the key is placing your eye on what you want to hit. That brings us to this night of worship. That's why in this night of worship, in the, in hopefully toward the end of this pandemic, hopefully toward the end of the control and the fear, hopefully our eyes are on Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, placing our eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. One of the reasons we worship is because it realigns us in our aim. What are you aiming at? What are you looking toward what, where do your expectations come from? Now, I want to give you a quick working definition of worship. I believe it to be a biblical definition. I'll give it to you in four parts. Worship is a response to God. Worship is a response to God. 1 John 4, 9. We love him because he first loved us. He loved us first. We love him, we worship him, we 
are aligned and give our allegiance to him because that is the response to his love. So worship, first part, is a response to God. Here's the second part of, that de- of the definition of worship. Worship is the proper response to God. It's not just a response. It's the right one. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy or completely and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. It's the right response. It's the proper response to God. Because you love me, because you searched me out, I therefore, it only makes sense, it's proper, it's logical, I worship you. So worship is a response to God. Worship is the proper response to God. Here's the third part of the definition. Worship is the proper response to God from the heart. You see, with him, with God, it always has to be real. It can't be fake. It can't be just words or lip service. God always looks for authenticity. Is it really from your heart? Jesus put it this way. The Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. That's important to God. He places a high premium on authenticity. So, here's worship. It's a response to God. It's a proper response to God. It's a proper response to God from the heart. Now, I'll finish it off and give you the last leg, the last part of a four-part definition of worship. Worship is the proper response to God from the heart, whereby we place God above everything and everyone else. Worship is the proper response to God from the heart, whereby we place God above everything and everyone else. You remember what Jesus answered when he was asked about the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? He said the greatest commandment, the number one, numero uno, is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. There it is. So that's worship. Worship is the proper response to God from the heart, whereby I place God above everyone and everything else. So, When we worship, we worship God supremely. We worship God above our hobbies. We worship God above our friends. We worship God above our family. We worship God above our occupation. We worship God above Netflix. We worship God more than social media. What if we were to ask, how much do you pray? How much do you check social media? We worship God above our fears. We worship him supremely. We worship God not only supremely, but let me me narrow that down a little bit. We worship God exclusively. It's the only way he will be worshipped. I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods beside me. God even said, I'm a jealous God. Remember that? And he didn't apologize for it. He wants no competition. God is to be worshipped 
supremely. God is to be worshipped exclusively. God is to be worshipped joyfully. Don't you love the story of Paul and Silas when they were stuck in the jail at Philippi? And it says, at midnight, remember what they did at midnight? They sang hymns. They sang praises to God. At midnight, in the darkest part of the night, they sang praises to God. And it says, everybody in prison in those cells was listening. Can you imagine a private concert by Paul and Silas singing a cappella hymns in, in prison? They were singing hymns. They weren't singing the blues. They were singing joyful praises to God. I love you, Lord. I don't know what they were singing. Listen, worship during this time should be preeminent for this reason. You and I should be enjoying the peace of God while the world is going to pieces. You shouldn't be going to pieces. You should have God's peace. You should be enjoying God's peace. You should be at rest. It's midnight. Perfect time to pull out the hymn book. Sing praises to him. So we worship God supremely. We worship him exclusively. We should worship him joyfully. And I'll end with this. We should worship God confidently. Confidently. When we look to the future, we still don't know stuff. We still don't know a lot about this virus. That's what they tell us every day. There's so much we don't know. Well, you told us that yesterday. You told us that two months ago. You told us six months ago. In fact, you told us a lot of things that contradict what you first told us. So there's still this huge question mark when we look to the future. There's a question about national health, worldwide health. There's a question about economic instability. There's a question still about social anarchy. And so the question comes, should we be worshiping God during that time? Absolutely. Should I be confident during such a time? Absolutely you should be confident. You should be confident that God is still on the throne. You should be confident that all things work together for good to those who love God. You should be confident that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the courses of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. You should be confident that God is the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Do you believe that? That's confidence. We're going to get back into worship in just a second. On the back of our money has a very interesting motto. It's called the motto of the United States. You can look it up. Not now, please. In God we trust. It's interesting how that line came to be on our money. It wasn't always there. It was there officially from the 1950s. That's pretty recent. Because during the 1950s, a secular America previous to that had suddenly during the 1950s, because of the world wars, etc., for a period of time became very spiritual and religious, the history books will tell us. 
And all of a sudden, biblical language started being used more and more in the public arena. And it was under Eisenhower's administration that they decided to take in God we trust and make that the motto on our money. Next time you pay for something in cash, I don't know if anybody does that much anymore, but look at that. Meditate on our motto, in God we trust. And put your name there, in God skip trusts. And see if it really sums up your life during this time. I'm trusting in God. I, I hope that so far this night of worship has realigned you with him. Given you a chance to pour out your heart, your anxieties, your fears. But to walk away saying, Lord, I worship you supremely, exclusively. I worship you joyfully. I worship you confidently. And I just want you to hear it from me. I face the same uncertain future as you do. I just want you to hear it from me. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the future. I'm not afraid of this virus. I'm not afraid of the economic instability. I'm not afraid. I am absolutely as confident, as sure, and as joyful in the Lord as before we went into this thing. Let the Lord tether you to these truths. Father, thank you. Thank you for a night, Lord, where we can gather and put everything aside, meditate on some truths in your word, meditate on some truths that maybe we have forgotten, but things that we should remind ourselves of and be assured of. Lord, there's always bad news swirling around us. We can get it almost anywhere. It doesn't change the good news and how thankful we are that the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ means that when we leave this earth, we're going to leave as forgiven sinners. When we die of whatever disease or whatever incident or whatever accident we have, whatever condition will strike our bodies, that we're going to enter into your glory, into your joy forever. Lord, I pray that until then, we would live not only with that assurance, but we would live with the urgency to tell others that there's something far more deadly than a virus. It has affected every single human being, and it's the sin issue, which you came to eradicate at the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church/give. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.